This week on Moonshine and Music. In the hottest part of waking up Is it doesn't mean a thing No, it doesn't mean a thing uh, That dissolved, as many bands do, just <laughs> over time. And then, uh, then I, I still wanted to be in the full band, but I, I wanted kind of a drama-free situation where uh, I can selfishly pick and choose who I play with, and uh, that's what ultimately started the Graveyard Shift. So that's my whole life story, so thank you, Joe. <laughs> Here we are again. Uh, no, man, I mean, uh, thanks for... Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of Moonshine and Music, the perfect music show. My name is Joe Shelton, and I am happy to be here with you today. I am so happy that you've chosen to join us on this occasion. We have Jeff Kelly in the studio. He's the lead singer, frontman, and kind of owner of Jeff Kelly and the Graveyard Shift, which is a fantastic indie band. They have a new record that just hit the shelves. It's just called Jeff Kelly and the Graveyard Shift. You can find that everywhere. Please go check it out. Jeff's a good friend of the show. Uh, he is a, a fantastic dude, a lot of fun to hang out with, and I think you're going to enjoy the interview and their performance. So hang in there for a moment. We want to thank Brent Smith for uh, being the host of these episodes at his house where we shot these on his back patio, which became the studio for a little bit. I want to thank uh, Eat New Media. Go to eatnewmedia.com. They're our production partner. And uh, we will see you on the other side. But check this out. It's a great interview. It's a lot of fun. Jeff is a funny guy. And uh, you're going you're gonna to really enjoy the interview. And then stick around for a fantastic performance at the end of the show. So without further ado, it's time for Moonshine and Music. Man, uh, welcome to Moonshine and Music. We're here with Jeff Kelly today on this episode. <laughs> Jeff Kelly is the uh, you know solo artist and the lead singer of Jeff Kelly and the Graveyard Shift. Although the Graveyard Shift is an ever shifting group of shifty folks, as I remember. <laughs> it's a great bio that it, I should probably use in the future. <laughs> yes, it's a great shift of shifty folks. The graveyard Shift. Uh, so. Um, you know, we, we start off the show with uh, birth and, and we move up, so where were you born? Next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know or you're not aware or... <laughs> the 80s was weird. Um, I came from a glass vial. <laughs> the, the 80s were weird. <laughs> A kid. So I actually grew up in Massachusetts. Uh, back in the day, I had somewhat of an accent there before Indiana took that away from me. Um, I grew up in a small town called Stowe, Massachusetts, S-T-O-W. Um, 
We were renowned for two things, and that was apple orchards and golf courses. Um, outside of that, it was a very small town, um, situated about 25 miles west of Boston and about 25 miles east of uh, a town or a city called Worcester, um, similarly spelled to Worcester. But not um, pronounced like that at all. Correct. No, not in the Unless least. Unless you want to be pegged as a tourist. Correct. Somebody would kill you. Yeah, they would, they would, I mean, murders happen, but not over stuff like that. Well, at least we hope. Um, the world's crazy now. <laughs> well, uh, oddly enough, my uh, my older brother was born uh, just outside of Boston at Fort Devens. Okay. Um, yeah, very familiar. Yeah, you know, my dad was in the Army, so, you know, the area is a little bit familiar to me because yeah. of that. Um, so... Uh, grown up in Massachusetts, uh, what, 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 you know, what was the name of your schools? Where, where'd you? Whoa. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we're branching out here. We're going national. I hope the government's not listening in on this. Um, they are. Okay. Yeah. We're on the FBI um, Wi-Fi here. To be honest, I cannot recall the name of my preschool, but I did have that. Like, <laughs> you did have an, education. a preschool experience. Yeah. And then um, followed that up. I was in a parochial system for the better part of. I'd say upwards of seven years. I went to a school called St. Michael's. Um, he's a saint. Um, he's known for slaying demon dragons, you know. Right. Um, pretty cool stuff. So I was there for quite a while. Um, fun fact, I'm actually a triplet. So there's two more that were duplicated similar to me uh, in the, the, the lab, except uh -huh. they're women. Um, so we, <laughs> yeah. Some would say that's not too dissimilar. No, but, but I will say we were products of <laughs> fertility drugs of the 80s. That was the thing. My mom and dad wanted more children, and they had a gift. They had three of us, which by most standards isn't a gift. That's just a financial burden. Um, <laughs> but, so, yeah, I went to school with my sisters for the better part of seven years at a place called St. Michael's. Um, I honestly enjoyed it. It was a very small school. I think uh, we may have had a class of around 25 to 30 kids total, and uh, that's the way I lived my life for probably the up until seventh grade. And then uh, after that, went to a middle school. It was a public school in Stowe, and um, there I kind of got acquainted to not having to wear a uniform, and it's where I found a, um, a kinship with BMX bikes and um, skateboards and, and girls and dances and um, it was a really good time so then um, from there I went to a parochial high school a Catholic high school called Hudson Catholic again like 45 kids it was in a town called Hudson Mass which is uh, just a town away from where I grew up and then uh, yeah I was there for four years like most high school educations and then uh, played a bunch of sports what'd you play uh, football and hockey yeah. So, yep. What position are you playing football? Oh, Jesus. Uh, we were a small school, mind you. So I played whatever they needed. There was one year where I was just a nose guard. And you center. were a nose guard? I was nose guard and center. Uh, oh, and special wow. Special teams. Uh, I started out freshman, sophomore year. I could catch anything. So I was the shortest wide receiver probably in the league. <laughs> but, man, I, I could catch. And I was also a long snapper. Um, punt return, and then uh, come sophomore year, my hands just, 
they became you know butterfingers so they moved me to fullback because uh, i had always been a stout guy and if you stay low you're good so i uh, i like to hit people i'm very competitive when it comes to sports um so fullback was a great position for me and then on defense i was um i was a linebacker inside and outside linebacker and um yeah i, I like to smack people man what was your number uh, Do you have a number like yeah, most sports yeah. guys? Like, I'm 77. If it, you see, for, like, it was six. Any so, jerseys that I have have yeah, my number on them because so, I get them customized for me. Yeah, in football it was six. In hockey it was eight. So, oh, yeah. that's cool. You're but, a single-digit guy. Yeah. Wow, yes. You know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it's funny how... Whatever number you are in sports, it ends up being some of your favorite numbers in real life. Uh, true. It's a yeah. weird statement to say out loud, but uh, yeah. I do Sports like, guys get it, but like yeah, everyone like else is eight, like, that's like so weird. Six. That's cool. <laughs> Put them together, 86. That's the year of my birth. Wow. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just had a flash to something really strange. I have a... Um, when I first started uh, playing music was in like 85 and um, they, we had this songbook that had like all of the uh, sheet music from 85 and then we had another one from 86 it was called Platinum 85, Platinum 86 I don't know what happened to the 85 one but I still have the 86 one on my bookshelf you said you were born in 86 and it flashed to the plat. my brain went there and I'm like damn I'm old so old so Can they call those anyway. hot flashes? They might be. I might be having hot flashes okay. at my elderly <laughs> state. Um, so, <laughs> thanks, Jeff. You've now made me feel old. And uh, it's okay. That's what I do. I have mental pause. I don't know about mental, menopause. I, I think that's a female thing. But menopause almost sounds like a Marvel character, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and that Mar Marvel character would be dressed in something really strange if we probably you know. something like light and loose clothing. I would say. <laughs> Something fitting. Especially on a day like today. Yeah. It's warm. Um, so uh, as you, uh, uh, yeah, and I, I, you, you went to college too. Let's, let's get that out of the way. Yeah. Um, so after high school, uh, through high school, I worked in warehouses and landscaping. Uh, I loved landscaping. I loved being outside. I had no interest whatsoever in being behind a desk. Still don't. Um, but at the same time, I grew up in Massachusetts, and, and I was somewhat of a homebody. I liked being close to home, um, but I had no interest in plowing. So that kind of ruled landscaping out in the winter months. So I um, basically did a, a dartboard approach to college where I had no idea what I wanted to pursue um, and just went down a list and saw civil engineering as an option. Um, it was something that's pretty pretty comprehensive in terms of the disciplines within the singular discipline to where I can, even back then I knew I could kind of mold and shape uh, my future education into whatever I really wanted it to be, even if I had to be behind a desk. So ended up in, in school at a place called Rochester Institute of Technology up in Rochester, New York, and it was a five-year program. So. From the age of 17 onward, I, you know, I was away from home, and I've never really, never really been back, never really been back. So it's been this uh, kind of interesting migration out west from from Massachusetts to 
New York, um, here to Indiana. So it's, it's and in, so you're a, a civil engineer mm -hmm. in, in the daytime, right? By day, yep. I, I um, I'm a civil engineer uh, specializing in water and wastewater, um, but I also enjoy and am currently doing a lot of construction inspection. So it uh, it keeps me away from the desk as much as I can, which is good. So, um, you know, uh, pursuing that, where did the music start? Were you 12, 10, 5? No, no, no. Um, uh, interestingly enough, the music really didn't start until I moved to Indiana post-college. Uh, I moved here not really knowing anybody, and uh, I had seen the Foo Fighters the summer before, and I saw Dave Grohl smash a guitar. Fantastic band. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're kind of underground. Yeah, they, uh, if you haven't heard of the Foo Fighters, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're you're missing out. But I saw Dave smash this pristine, gloss black, Elvis Dove model Gibson into smithereens, and I saw the entire stadium erupt. And I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. So... For a long time, I had molded over, man, it would be cool to play an instrument, man, it would be... Uh, I embrace forms of meditation, and uh, I'm kind of an introspective and reflective person, so music to me is a really great form of meditation, and I knew it even back then. Um, so saw Dave play, and then subsequently moved to Indiana, didn't know anybody, lived about a block away from the Vogue on College Ave. So I'd see these neon lights all the time. And I saw so many great shows the first year I was here, which was in 2009. And um, bought this um, this blue Ibanez acoustic. Uh, the strings were probably a good inch off the fretboard. And that's how I thought people played, man. So I, I just thought it was a torturous affair. Um, but the first month I was here, my job got put off a month. So um, the contract hadn't gone, gone through for the work I was going to be doing. I was broke. Uh, I spent everything I had just to move to Indiana. Um, spent it on the first and last month's rent and uh, didn't have a job. So what I did was every single day I had this guitar. Every single day I would go to the nearby Starbucks and open up, open up a bunch of tabs on their free Wi-Fi uh, leave the tabs open and then uh, come back to my house, which didn't have electricity, didn't have cable, um, had water, like just the bare necessities. And um, I would open up that laptop and just practice songs. So I think um, I learned relatively, I mean, I didn't start playing until I was about 23 years old, and I'm going on 32 now. So it's been a minute at this point, but I definitely was a late bloomer. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that's that's pretty neat. I was 36 when I started playing guitar, but I, I played piano when I was a kid. So. Sure. Well, um, yeah, having that musical background probably helped a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's not the same as, like, starting from scratch. I mean, sure. uh, but, it, you know, I understand the perils of being a little bit older and starting to play guitar. You're in there with, like, I, I took lessons, and I was in there with, like, little kids. Yeah. You know, like, some 8-year-old would be in huh. front of me, and you're standing outside the door, and he's playing, like, you know, perfect, you know, like, <laughs> perfect whatever it is. And I'm like... Okay. Well, I feel like I might be able to accomplish something because that guy's eight and he's killing it. Sure. Know? Yeah. So, um, but when did you start writing songs? So you, you started playing then, and you were using the tabs like you found on the internet. I yeah, I yeah. And um, I think it's very important to 
as a musician, as an artist, as a person, um, exercise and go outside of your comfort zone. So how that started with me, where I remember going to a venue here in Indiana Indianapolis, at the time affectionately called Locals Only. Um, it's a building that's still there, uh, right next to the mousetrap. Um, but at the time, it was this small dive. It was when you could still smoke in Indiana. So it was gross. Like, it was just this smoky room. Uh, and I went simply to witness an open mic. I heard through the grapevine there was something there. This must have been back in 2009, 2010. And um, I saw a bunch of people that, you know, I still see every now and again now. but. I was just enamored. I was like, man, like the guts it takes to get up on that stage. Retrospectively, there may have been five people in the audience and the rest were musicians. But at the time, I, I thought they were gods and goddesses. And uh, I thought it was incredible that they had the guts to share themselves. So I saw that and kind of instantly knew holy crap, this would be really cool to do at some point in my life. Someday I might get up on a stage. Someday. And then um, kind of to exercise my own limits and get out of my comfort zone, I recorded a bunch of cover songs. So there's this bootleg disc out there of me doing a bunch of cover songs before I knew how to sing. Um, just songs I enjoyed, songs I loved. And uh, made almost a compilation bedroom CD of these songs and just gave it to a couple friends of mine uh, in part as a sense of encouragement see what they thought um, I'm terrible with criticism I take it to heart and it crushes me every time but it, I, I also really enjoy it in that respect so um, well, it makes you try harder absolutely right? yeah I love trying hard I'm a hard worker and I'm constantly striving to improve and I'm, I'm my own worst critic so released that and people were like you got to keep doing this like there's something there you, it needs work but there's something there and then uh, eventually that transpired to where um, I decidedly went on Craigslist when Craigslist was a little bit more fluid like people actually used it the close encounters and um, the um, you know the women for men sections were actually pretty approachable <laughs> I mean you could find a good date that's not true <laughs> that, that, I stayed away from that but uh, I, um, I did go to the music section because uh, this was before Facebook was hot this is before there were other avenues to really pursue to finding bandmates and at the time I just had my job uh, civil engineering where 90% of the people were significantly older than I was. Uh, probably the next in age, they were in their 30s. And now as a 30 year old, uh, going on 32, it's hard to imagine me just hanging with a 23 year old. Like, so I didn't really have friends there. So I, I went online to the, the World Wide Web and found, found a friend uh, through Craigslist. So I started getting again out of my comfort zone and playing guitar and just jamming with people I met on Craigslist. Um, and from that formed my first band. So, Was it initially called The Graveyard Shift? Or no, no, man. That, I, that I, I wish the first name was as cool as The Graveyard Shift. 
Um, the first band I was ever in, uh, it took a long time to really think of a name. And even then, I tried to approach it almost as a business-savvy business uh, approach for no reason because um, we had never played a freaking show. Um, I tried to find a name that was ungoogleable, like that it didn't pre-exist. And uh, I went with Big Brown Moose. Okay. Big Brown Moose? Big Brown Moose. And, um, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. And uh met a drummer who I'm still friends with today, a um, guy named Steve Mazurkowitz. He had a connection. His mother owned a, a bar in Greenwood at the time. It was called the Rock House Cafe, which for a number of years was quite popular. It's no longer around. Um, so it was kind of a, a great in to a scene, a music scene. Uh, so Steve and I played and recruited other artists and uh, affectionately formed Big Brown Moose. And we played a handful of shows. Uh, it dissolved relatively quickly, but at the same time it was um, probably the best um, growth period for me in some ways in terms of a songwriter. Because I was pitted with this band and we had to play tunes and they wanted to play original tunes and nobody was up for the challenge uh, I'm terrible at remembering lyrics to pre-existing songs awful I've witnessed that yeah I, I think I think we were at Fountain Square Brewery and you we were doing the uh, thing where we all, we all had to do cover songs yeah um, under the influence and and you like I routinely bomb. I, was I so routinely bomb, and you just try to make it affectionate, and you try to make it an endearing thing. I actually thought it was. I thought your performance was cool because you weren't afraid to just go. So yeah, ne never apologize that. for messing up. Bring the crowd together as if we all messed up, <laughs> and that's that's the key to success. But uh, it's your fault, guys. so <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you really made me a little off and a little scared, so I, I messed that up. But I'll try again. I mean, this crowd is just so beautiful that it's very difficult to pay attention to what I'm doing. <laughs> like that, that kind of thing. And I um, so it was a really great opportunity for me to start writing. And uh, there's still songs that I play today that uh, I wrote back then, and that was 20, 2011. So. I, in 2010, I put the guitar down for the better part of 8 to 12 months. So I played for a year, basically put it under my bed. And then my um, significant other at the time, uh, I pulled it out one day and she's like, I didn't know you could play guitar. And she's like, you got to keep doing that. And so I picked it back up after a year. And um, in 2011 is when I formed the beautiful Big Brown Moose. <laughs> and uh, we played our first show. Uh, the first ever show was at the Melody Inn. Uh, I still play there quite a bit. And um, what I love about the Mel is it's a bar that gives everybody a chance in some way, shape, or form. Um, so I brought Big Brown Moose there, and it was a, a, a day I'll always remember. Because um, that day I met Phil Sloan and Kudata. Uh, it's a band that's no longer around, unfortunately. But... Phil routinely plays in the Graveyard Shift, my current band. Uh, and I met a, a great friend, a girl named Kristen Ford, who lived in Boston at the time, lived in Chicago prior to that, and currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, she and I have remained great friends from it. So 
Uh, Big Brown Moose was not in vain. <laughs> short a story. Band that shall not be lived in vain. Short story. Uh, one time we were asked to play a motorcycle festival. Mind you, at the time I didn't know how to sing my songs yet, and at the time they were very acoustic in nature. And uh, I just remember there was one guy in the audience clad in leather. He brought samurai swords to the bar. <laughs> and so he had his samurai sword out when, when he was drinking a beer. And I remember halfway through our set, during this motorcycle festival, he said, big brown moose, more like big brown shh. And I, I don't know who's listening, but... Oh, you um, can use it. We, we put an E. There's a little explicit. Sure. Big brown shite. <laughs> and um, I said in the microphone, sir, I, I don't think you're wrong. But it, it was just funny, man. So big brown moose dissolved. And that's when I started doing the solo stuff. I, um, that's when I really embraced open mics. So I started going to a place called Lazy Days Cafe. And uh, Lazy Days is currently 10 Johnson Avenue in, in uh, Irvington, uh, a really beautiful little village within Indianapolis. And um, there I met a number of players. Uh, the first night I ever played there, um, in the audience was Bryce Taylor, JJ and Irina from Delta Duo, Don Smith, Ben Brashear, uh, a girl named Suki Conley, Caleb Hawkins, um, as well as a litany of others. And I mean, how nervous can you imagine being? That's your first time playing out as a solo artist. Did I you mean, play early in that? Because like, if you were one of the early ones, it might not have been as nerve wracking as after you heard all of those people play because they're all really good local musicians. And no, that's what made it nerve-wracking. You're like eighth or something behind all these yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> I was not first. And so I heard all these people, and it was a quiet room. It and is, at, I've the, been there. at the time, Lazy Days, um, that's where everybody went. And it was just this beautiful, like, almost Greenwich Village kind of vibe where uh, everybody was feeding off each other, and it was a great time to be a solo songwriter. Uh, that was back in 2011. And I spent the better part of a year just playing solo, learning my songs, developing as a solo artist, and um, subsequently met through the grapevine a girl named Ayana Miller and Cody Roberts, who were doing a duo thing um, called the Orchard Keepers. And they're still around today, but they, their approach to music now is a lot heavier. Um, awesome. It's like punk meets rock meets whatever Ayana wants to do at the time. Um, Ayana is an amazing songwriter. Cody's an amazing bass player and musician. And um, I was with the Orchard Keepers for the better part of a year and a half. And that was where I started meeting people. Um, meeting people like Ben and uh, other musicians outside of the solo realm. Because uh, they gave me an opportunity to jump into a full band. And, you know, there's a big difference between being a solo artist and um, being in a full band. Just the, the types of shows you can get, the, the lineups, the publicity, and um, the promotionary efforts on the venues are a lot greater than if you're a solo artist. Um, so I played with them for quite a while. I played bass, mandolin, guitar, vocals, harmonica, um, and banjo. I don't know if I said that. Um, no, you haven't mentioned the so, banjo. So every gig was um, 
And very, very labor, very labor intensive. I mean, I had a lot of crap in my car, um, but it was uh, a great time. So and you had all those different instruments in the car all the time? Yeah. Or? Wow. Well, I mean, I take them out after gigs and stuff, but that's a lot to haul for one person. Yeah. Uh, but it was a really great growth period musically. Playing that many instruments, it gets your mind thinking a little bit more, and your brain has to be a little bit more flexible. Um, so Orchard Keepers was great. Eventually, they, uh, they kicked me out of the band because I was the old man. Um, at the time, I was probably uh, 26. <laughs> and they had just turned 18 or 19 and uh, they wanted to go in more of a punk direction and uh, my solo stuff was taken off a little bit more uh, so it was fine and uh, I still I found, it wasn't like a bad breakup or anything they're amazing people and that gave me a chance to do the solo stuff a lot more uh, did that for quite a while came out with an EP in 2013 What's the name of the EP from 2013? Uh, it's a album called My Fair Share. And uh, I think it had eight songs on there. So it was a relatively long EP. And then... Um, yeah, it was like a EPLP. Yeah, yeah. An LP. <laughs> LP. LP. An LP. LP. And then uh, did that for a while. Did the solo thing. Um, joined a band called The Prowlers and the Prey for over two years. It was like the Fleetwood Mac of Indianapolis, man. Like it was just a great band uh, that dissolved, as many bands do, just <laughs> over time. And then, uh, then I, I still wanted to be in the full band, but I, I wanted kind of a drama-free situation where uh, I can selfishly pick and choose who I play with, and uh, that's what ultimately started the Graveyard Shift. So that's my whole life story. So thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> we are again. Uh, no man i mean uh thanks for sharing all those like places in between um i, I do want to talk a little bit about the graveyard shift and the new yeah, record because yeah, absolutely um i mean um and, and then the name of the new record is or you know jeff kelly and the graveyard shift so it's kind of a self-titled endeavor so uh i know that you uh, uh worked on it really for a long time we were um I know one of the things was when we were first doing the show, and a little background uh, is that Brandon, uh, the other producer, and I met because Jeff introduced us uh, through the grapevine because I was looking for somebody to do some video work. And um, so, like, the first person on our list was we want Jeff Kelly to do the first show. And then you were doing your album, and it was like, I have to do it later, guys. <laughs> I'm, so, um, you know, I know I you were working hard busy, on it man. for a long time. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, and then and it came out not long ago. Um, um, and you know it's out there on, on everything for you to hear but talk a little bit about some of the songs that are on it and uh, and kind of you know what you were going for yeah, you know, I think, as, a, uh, as a unit you know um, as a unit this was really my first endeavor doing a full band recording um, in that alone I, I think this was really a, a big obstacle for me uh, I had no idea to really how to orchestrate how to produce and uh it was a stressful thing. It was a very stressful thing, and uh, the players I had on the album were incredible. And at first, I think I was nervous around them. Uh, when in actuality, uh, and now they've become great friends. Everybody on that album. Um, it was really a labor of love. So that album of eleven songs 
really spanned from uh, 2011 until 2018. So there's um, quite a bit of songs that are older, some that are newer, and it's really an album about experience. So musically and lyrically, I try to write from the heart. It's very, very honest, but I try to make it very approachable and very universal. And uh, so I think it's an album that almost reads as a journal, a lot of the songs. Uh, there's a few outliers, like a song called Lend My Veins, which I think is a dumb song. But at the same time, it's really fun to play and hear. <laughs> so, but, and you need that. You need to break up the, the monotony of sad stuff. Like there's, there's too many white guys with guitars playing sad songs. And <laughs> I, um, so I, I'm really trying to, try to embrace the fun side of music. And uh, that album really, it took several months to simply record, not even mix and master. And uh, during that time, we scrapped a bunch of stuff. We redid a bunch of stuff. Uh, all with the intent of making it sound live, making it sound real, and um, approach it as if you were hearing me write the lyrics out. Like I, I really wanted it to be uh, an honest album. So I really didn't try to mask my vocals in any way, shape, or form as much as I would love to have done that now. <laughs> uh, but it, it's raw. It's, it's raw, and it's, it's who I am. It's who I was with. And uh, I think I love that album for that reason alone. You know, I know I, I, I know that exact feeling like you're talking about there, um, because I did the same thing when I uh, made my first record. I just wanted it to sound raw. I wanted it to sound raw. I wanted it to yeah. sound that way. And um, and then after it's done, you're kind of like, you know, I could have. I think it's this way with any recording. I could have done that a little better. I could have polished that. I could have put some compression you know, on the voice. Yeah. You know, maybe we could have had this. You know. But uh, I, I think it's a great effort. I've uh, listened to it through several times, and um, I mean, my favorite song on it's the River Song. It's the last song on the record, and and I don't know if it's because you know I've seen you play live a lot of times, and um, the River Song really always gets a reaction from the crowd. That's a great ender. I mean, and, it, it gets <laughs> hot and heavy and loud, and gives me a chance to exercise a little bit of my fingers and and play some lead work as well, and. I think it comes as a surprise where I feel like this city identifies me as a songwriter first and foremost, but I think at the end of the day I, I, I strive to be a performer and it shouldn't matter what you're singing or uh, I don't think you should have a style per se, it's what comes from the heart. Sometimes I want to growl and I, I love <laughs> to growl, man, just as much as I love to try and try and hit some fal falsetto stuff. Um, it all goes hand in hand. So, uh, I mean, uh, do you do you feel like um, any artists were you know? I, I know you worked with a lot of artists. Did you did you did you have a, a core group or how many how many people in, and worked on the record with you? I mean, different uh, players. And I know Charlie Ballantyne was on a lot yeah. of the songs. Um, uh, yeah, there was a genuine core group um, for all the keyboard work. I had Mina Cohane. Uh, drums were all performed by Kevin Hood. Uh, lead guitar was a real mix of Charlie and I. Uh, the better sounding stuff was Charlie. <laughs> and then um, Phil Sloan, who was formerly of Coup d'etat, um, he, he laid it down on bass. And then I had uh, two females, uh, Kira Waltz and Amy Nash, 
both did vocals. I had Carrie Goodspeed, who was the recording engineer, play Shaker on Rich Man for a Day. Um, and then I had Kelsey Arnson, uh, affectionately Kelsey Strance, or Kels Strance, who currently plays a lot with Viseria and other bands, Fame and Fiction from Nashville. Is, um, she did all the cello and violin work on the album. So it really, I mean, we had a lot of people on that damn album. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm glad we did because it really allowed each song to breathe. And uh, it, it allowed me to exercise both the the more subtle as well as the louder stuff all in one nice 11 song package and that was pretty cool well i think it's a good album and you guys should go out and listen to it we'll have the links in the show notes to to jeff kelly uh i i, I love his earlier website named jeff kelly loves dogs um I, you know I, we shouldn't get away without talking about uh your love of dogs anyway sure um i um I mean, the short story is I love dogs. <laughs> um, the long short story is that um, uh, my best friend in the world is my roommate. Uh, he's a shepherd husky mix named Moose. And uh, Moose and I have gone back for a long time. And uh, he's just the freaking best, man. Um, I've always loved dogs. One thing I used to tell my mom, she'd ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said I really didn't care what I'd be when I grow up as long as I live in a trailer home with a Shepherd Husky mix. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a little bit of an upgrade with a, a little bungalow here in Indianapolis, but I do have the Shepherd Husky mix, and I love him to death, man. He's um, the best part of my life. And if you go find Jeff on social media, you get to see Moose. He's all over there. Yeah, he's, he's a great brand. <laughs> like, I use him for the brand, man, because he's so cute. Um, <laughs> And women like it, you know. And I'm, try, I'm trying to expand to that demographic, you know, like women in general. They, they seem to buy more albums, whereas guys just talk about your gear. And they like your guitars and stuff. That's interesting. I'm going to have to redirect my marketing strategy. That's all you got to so, do. You, know. you got to do. Just come up with an affectionate website. Like, you go, oh, you're a beautiful dog. But the guys go, hey, dude, nice Gibson. Yes. Is that, is that the, okay. So, like, you could have a, like, Joe Shelton loves... Joe Shelton pets cats? Well, I don't. I have three dogs. So I, I'm a dog guy, and that's part of why, you know, I think it's it's cool. I think uh, Joe Shelton pets cats, that might also be, like, an adult website as yeah, well. Yeah, it could be. I, you, know. Well, don't, you know, I'm sure there's probably a Joe pets cats uh, website somewhere. You never uh, we can look it up later. Uh, you can but, add a, you yeah. can add a link at the but, bottom of the page. I, Joe pets cats. Won't, but that's a good thing. <laughs> you should, though. <laughs> anyway, you want to play some acoustic songs for us today? I would hate to. But you're going to anyway? Yep. All right, man. That's great. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Joe. It's really great to have yeah, you here. Likewise. Thanks for introducing me to Brandon. We've had a great time putting together the show. It's partly your fault, whatever this becomes. So. That's also, thanks for not uh, coming to, uh, earlier on because instead of you getting Megan Martin, <laughs> I'm happier to date her than you. Exactly. exactly. I mean, I'm, true, I'm pretty yeah. good at back. Yeah. I'm a good back rubber. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the things I could do to you, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, he but might, I'm, I, I'm like, man, I want the motherfucker walking my back. He, <laughs> he, he might change your entire perspective. You don't even know. <laughs> All right, well, let's get some tunes right after this on Moonshine and Music. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, man. That was fun. Next week on Moonshine and Music, we will have John Martin in the house. And he will chat us up. It's a great interview. It's probably one of our most 
music-centric interviews. So stick around for that, and you'll get to hear great music like this. Hello, trouble. Come on in. Talk about heartache. We're in the world of Ain't had since you've been gone. Hello, trouble, trouble. This song is called um, Doesn't Mean a Thing. You woke up next to a stranger With your ordinary life Both too young to you alone Ain't too old to feel alright She was a victim of oppression You were always in your mind But at 4am this morning You were both feeling more alive Close your eyes You'll see the girl that got away Close your eyes I will be the man you need a man to be In the hardest part of waking up Saddest part of us The hardest part of waking up Is it doesn't mean a thing Goddamn thing All these scratches on my back are roadmap to lonely nights like these You grab your shirt from off the dresser It was embroidered with your name And the last words that we said simply didn't mean a thing Close your eyes You'll see the girl that got away Close your eyes, I will be the man you need a man to be In the hardest part of waking up, saddest part of us Hardest part of waking up Is it doesn't mean a thing Stranger with your ordinary lives, both too young to die alone, and too old to feel alright. She was a victim of oppression. You're always in your mind, but at 4 a.m. this morning, you're both feeling more alive. 
it doesn't mean a thing No, it doesn't mean a is called Alive. I will hold on, hope 
Till all hope is gone What do you mean? No, he didn't. No, I did one. I did one. Just make me so nervous. Are you new at this? Yeah. Very new. And try this. This is a song I wrote called Dim in Your Arms.
torn the big of my mind Oh, home is always on the big of my mind On the big of my mind. <laughs> Voice cracks and all. Yeah, see, that's Jeff Kelly right there. Go and uh, check out some of his shows. Find his music online. You'll love all of the recorded stuff. I love this song called River Song. He didn't perform that today, but you can find that on his new album. That's on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Play, like Amazon, everywhere. So go check it out. And uh, we'll be back next week. You're going to get to see a fan fantastic show with john martin next week we are very very happy to have him in the studio for the show so we'll see y'all next time on moonshine and music moonshine and music is a presentation of eat new media in association with not less entertainment producers for today's program are brandon lay and joe shelton be sure to join us next time on moonshine and music